And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show. Of course, it's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. Glad you could join me this morning as, uh, well, today is the big earnings day for NVIDIA, right? This is the... One thing that everybody's paying attention to, and the bets are on right now for the NVIDIA drinking game. Every time NVIDIA says the word AI, you have to take a shot. So by the time they get through the earnings call, half the country will be completely obliterated and it really won't matter what they say their earnings were. So, <laughs> exactly. Which will be just in time for the debates. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, Republican debates tonight. Um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> That's a whole other drinking game. Exactly. That's a whole other drinking game right there. So anyway, um, you know, yesterday markets uh, kind of tried to rally a bit in the morning, um, then sold off in the afternoon. And, and again, just has been a bit of a chop here over the last few days. Um, we'll talk some more about that in a minute. But, you know, the, the one thing we're looking for now as we start to look forward, economic data. Um, has been, you know, we, we talked about how this economic data has been kind of surprising to the upside. And we, we've seen kind of a, a run of data that's been a little bit better than expected. And that has led, of course, to the City Economic Surprise Index rising back to its kind of previous peak where it is. And, and then again, this happens when you have kind of a, a, a period in the economy or a period in the market where analysts and economists get very negative on things. Then they start to kind of downgrade estimates. And they, then, of course, when the data comes in, it's better than expected. So we have these economic surprises. Well, you know, as being humans and as human nature goes, when we start having a spat of better than expected data, what do we do? We go, well, well, maybe our estimates were wrong, so we need to upgrade our estimates and we need to raise those numbers because maybe next quarter will be even better. And so what happens, of course, is, is that the economic data is not going to be getting that much better. And so we'll start having a, a run of worse than expected economic data. In other words, the data will disappoint and we'll see that economic surprise index start to decline again. But this is just kind of the cycle that we go through. Um, Philly Fed yesterday out a little bit weaker than expected. Richmond Fed, not real surprising there either. So again, when we take a look at the economic data, it's not in, on the manufacturing side. Now, let me be clear. On the manufacturing side of the ledger, the economic data is not improving all that much. The real question is going to be on the services side of the ledger. Is that data going to start getting weaker here as higher interest rates begin to impact consumption as savings begin to run out, and this has been the, the one question we all have is like, man, how is everything hanging in here so well when, you know, interest rates are going up, things are more expensive, you got a mortgage rate at 7%, you know, who can afford to buy a house at this point? Affordability is, is, is just crazy right now, just can't afford a house. But yet consumers have been hanging in there so far. Well, yesterday we had some reports out from several retailers that really weren't so good. Dick's, other, Dick's Sporting Good, others. Data not, the, the earnings not good, and of course the outlook really not good either. Nike's had a straight run of neg, uh, negative nine days in a row that Nike has been down. Again, so is there concern about consumers? 
And I would say that that answer is yes. Now, you know, when we take a look at kind of a, across the broad swath of, of retail companies that have reported so far, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Kohl's, as an example, reported better than expected numbers this morning. Walmart did okay, right? Target was terrible. Dick's was terrible. <laughs> so, it, you know, there are some certain pockets of that retail area. And yes, we can attribute some of this to some of the bad marketing that Dick's and Target and Anheuser-Busch and others did. You know, they made very poor choices in how they were marketing their businesses. And that certainly um, hurt their sales. And this is why it's always important not to get in, if you're a retail you know, a salesperson, right, of any sort, you know, you don't get involved in politics, right? Leave that alone because you want to sell to everybody, not just one segment of the population. And so Dix and Nike and Target and Bud, they're all trying, they're, they're, they're reaping the benefit, or I should not say the benefit, they're reaping the outcome of bad marketing decisions. But overall, we are seeing weakness in the retail area, uh, of consumers and the more that interest rates continue to rise here um, and the longer they remain elevated as savings begin to run out which that is occurring we're going to start to see a slowdown in that consumption side of the business so again while it's been delayed so far economic weakness is still a risk as we move into 2024 so you know everybody was expecting in 2022 that we'd have a recession Right. We haven't had one yet. So now analysts are all going, well, I guess we're not going to have a recession at all, which is actually kind of the setup that you need to actually have a recession at some point. Because, again, when you know what markets tend to do very well and what economics tend to do, and because it's all based on sentiment, is do exactly the opposite of what everyone expects. You know, Bob Farrell once said, rule number nine, the, you know, whatever when all experts agree something else tends to happen and right now we're back into the camp of having all experts agree that well we won't have a recession not even an economic slowdown we just are going to avoid it altogether and everything's going to be fine in fact economic growth estimates are being ratcheted up by economists really kind of across the board particularly going into next year so you know the belief is at the moment that these very high interest rates that we have in the economy right now considering we have record levels of debt really kind of across the board, whether it's consumer debt or government debt, corporate debt, et cetera, that these interest rates won't matter. They will matter. The lag effect is still there. It's still going to matter at some point when we get down the road. Okay, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning, though. Um, markets did rally just a bit yesterday in the morning and then sold off. And again, this was kind of this struggle of this rally we've had. We came down, we tested support um, in this recent decline, we're down about 5% from the peak. Again, as we talked about recently, you know, that's kind of what we expected. So markets did bounce for a couple of days, a little bit of a pullback yesterday on news. But again, not, nothing really out of the ordinary. There was not a big run of selling pressure, nothing to really kind of worry about here. Uh, futures are pointing higher this morning. We'll see if we can, again, you know, we started out on the upside yesterday, sold off. Can we actually come out of the gate today? on the higher side, hold that, close the day higher. That would be ideal. Um, we're still trying to push up into this resistance of where the 20-day and the 50-day moving average are gonna cross. But uh, again, when we take a look at this, we're still on a sell signal at this point. Now, importantly, that sell signal is starting to flatten out. That's actually good news. That suggests that we could be getting close here, a bit more of this kind of consolidation over the next couple of weeks, uh, kind of work off some of that previous run that we had for in, in uh, April, May, and June work off some of that um, overbought condition, 
This sell signal kind of flattens out, triggers a buy signal sometime around late September, potentially get us into October. That October, November, December, seasonally strong period we've talked about before. Markets remain oversold here. So again, just be a little bit cautious here. Be a little bit patient. Don't make any knee-jerk reactions. You know, the, the big bear market's not coming back. We're just having a very much needed correction at this point. Actually, a good opportunity to look for some, for some areas to add some money into that uh, you've been wanting to do this. Um, one thing that'll be driving the markets today and tomorrow, of course, is this whole thing about NVIDIA's earnings and AI and what that's gonna mean. If they miss, that could change this whole dynamic because uh, again, a miss by NVIDIA is going to weigh heavily on the tech sector because of their size in the overall index, but also because of all the hype that's been put into NVIDIA, that's gonna cause a broad sell-off across technology stocks if for any reason, NVIDIA's report doesn't just wow investors. So keep watching that. That is a risk later on today. I don't expect that to happen, but we'll see how that turns out. We'll obviously have something to talk about tomorrow for sure. Uh, but keep a watch on that this morning. Again, nothing really to worry about here. It's fine at the moment. Just uh, you know, kind of hold on to what you've got, and then we'll find eventually when we get this buy signal a better entry opportunity uh, to add money into markets. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff, talk about yields. There's been a one driver of yields. What is it? We'll talk about that when we come back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me as well. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, good morning. Doing great. How are you, Lance? Yeah, you seen Barbie yet? No. You haven't taken your kids to see the Barbie movie? Absolutely not. <laughs> what do you have against Barbie? Nothing. <laughs> All right, just curious. No, I mean, we, we really don't. But, you know, like, you don't know what's in half these movies these days. And I, I'm not going to spend the time to find out. Okay. And there is a lot of controversy amongst parents. Like, should I be taking my kids to see it? You know, there's these types of innuendos or things that are occurring within it. And I thought, you know what? If it's going to be this largely talked about, if you're asking yourself that question, you probably just shouldn't take them. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. I'm not big on movies. Yeah. So, I know. I don't know. I haven't seen it either, so I don't know what's in it. Oh, get out of here. I know no, you've been no, dragged no. there a couple times. No. no? No, my kids are old enough now. We're past that. So, you know, when my kids were growing up, you know, I got drugged. You know, I had to take my kids to see all of the like Pixar movies and, yeah. you know, Toy Story and, you know, whatever it was. Right. Seen all those. Right. So, you know, but now they're old enough. They just uh, my daughter and her boyfriend went and saw Barbie by themselves. So they're old enough now to pay for it themselves and go by themselves. Yeah. So. Well, it's gotten so expensive. I mean, you know how I am with this stuff, yeah, but no, right. it's like I could rent this at home and save a ton of money versus spending, you know, the money on five of us to go to the theater. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah no, it's very true. That's, it, you know, it's $950 for popcorn. So, you know, Oh yeah. It's not yeah. just getting in. It's the popcorn. Yeah. And, you know, Michelle would be the one who's sneaking in, you know, home popped popcorn <laughs> and you know, everything else. She's like rolling down her socks, oh, pulling yeah. out candy bars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go to a movie theater with her. <laughs> that's funny well, so, yeah if you want to save some money but. <laughs> so uh, 
the rise in yields uh, obviously been a hot topic as of late. We've been writing a lot recently on yields and bonds and because there's so much misinformation running around about what's going on with bonds and what's happening with yields and those type of things. And so we've been doing a lot of writing lately. I've got and I've got one more article. It's my last article on this topic coming out on Friday talking about debts and deficits. Nobody believes you, by the way. I understand that. It won't be your last article. That's completely fine. I did. You know, I don't care if you believe me or not, because time will tell. Uh, and that's going to be the whole issue. I'm not saying your thesis. I'm just saying I don't think anybody believes this will be your last article. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's going to be my last article on this topic for a while. I'm going. I've done five now in a row, and so I'm going to take a break on this topic and move to something else. Yeah. Don't know what that is yet, but I'm going to move to something else. I'm anyway. sure the market will give us something. Yeah, good. I, I, every day, every day. Um, but Reese, a very good article out. We have some good friends of ours over at Kalish Concepts, which is a another research firm, and they do pure research. Great bunch of guys and. Um, we've been talking with them for quite a while, and they wrote an article that was picked up by MarketWatch. And it was interesting because they talk about long-dated Treasury yields and the one factor that's driving those yields. Um, and you can attribute almost 90% of the rise in yields to this one factor. And th this is an important part because of where we are in the overall cycle. I'll just Let me just read to you uh, from the MarketWatch article real quick. Kalish Concepts attributes 90% of the increase to one factor alone, which is higher real rates resulting from changing expectations for U.S. economic growth. Now, what does that mean? So it's expectations that economic growth is about to, to is, is changing in one direction or the other. So if yields are rising, as we've talked about here on the show numerous times, there's a very high correlation between interest rates, inflation, and economic growth because they're all part and parcel of each other. If economic growth is rising, then you have more activity in the economy, which means people are buying more stuff, right? More demand, which means that producers then increase prices, which you have inflation. So stronger economic growth leads to inflation. Well, if you have economic growth and inflation, then people lending money to somebody are going to demand a higher rate. Because if I'm loaning money to you at 2% and now the economy is growing at 4 and inflation is 4 well, I need my money to basically reflect that rate of economic growth and inflation. So the, the, so the money that I'm lending maintains its same purchasing power parity in the future when I get paid back. Because remember, it's a fixed rate loan that I'm giving you, right? I'm just going to get 4%. So I've got to accommodate for higher growth and higher inflation. So I charge more on interest rates. And so to Kalisha's point, and they're, they're, they're absolutely right, is that everybody's now expecting that, and we talked about this at the open, is everybody now currently expects that we are not going to have a recession. And in fact, analysts are now ratcheting up their growth forecasts for the economy going forward. Okay. So that's why rates have gone up. The question is, and this is the question you have to answer, right? And so if you if you can make the case that we're going to have stronger economic growth going forward, and I'm not just talking about stronger economic growth over the next month or two, right? We're talking about stronger economic growth over the next few years. And that's why rates are going up, right? We're betting on, if I'm loaning money for 10 years, right? I've got to make an assumption that economic growth is going to be running at 3 or 
over the next 10 years because that's how long I'm loaning money for. So this rise in yields have been a function of the stronger expectations for economic growth. The question is, are they right? Are we going to have above trend? And this is the important part here. Prior to 2000, the economic growth trend was about 3.2%. After the dot-com crash, that economic growth trend dropped to about three and a, sorry, to about three percent after the financial crisis, that growth trend dropped to two point two percent. Two point, sorry, two point three percent. So after each one of these crises that we've had since two thousand, which has been a result, by the way, as we have these crises, what's the one thing that we all go out and do? We ramp up debt, right? More government debt, more consumer debt, more corporate debt. Interest rates come down. More debt, more debt, more debt. We just had this massive explosion of debt since 2000. And since then, we have consistently lower rates of economic growth that are running trend after each one of these crises. So after the financial crisis, we had 2.3% economic growth. That is the trend growth over that period from, from 2008 to present. So what you're betting on now is for the growth rate of economic growth on a year-over-year basis to rise above and establish a higher trend in the economy despite the fact you have more debt. It's a big bet. Now, maybe they're right. Maybe something has changed and we're now all more productive and we're out and we're now all more uh, you know, we're all getting rid of our debt and we're all going to be much more, you know, economically sensitive and this is all going to lead to stronger rates of economic growth and that would support higher rates. And if that is the case, we are going to have higher rates for longer. If you can make that case, we'll have higher rates for longer. If not, there's the other story, right? The other half of the story. Danny, your thoughts? Well, I think it's really difficult to make that argument that you're going to see these rates for longer, especially if you're looking at productivity or looking at what people are doing right now. Higher interest rates and why you know, companies looking at the real rate of return, they have to increase their what they're lending money for, to you for is because essentially they know that rates will decline. Mm-hmm. And- Look, not everybody's going to be smart enough to go out or, or maybe I'm not going to say smart enough. I think most people know what they should do. But unfortunately, most of us are, or a lot of us are very lazy in the sense that we won't go out and refinance that debt. So what you can get it, get it while it's hot. Right. People still need money. But the problem with that is that the higher the interest rates are, the less, the more we're taking from the future because we are essentially, you know, depreciating our cash flow. So we are robbing from the future right now, the more we have to pay now. If you're really smart with this and you have to take on debt right now and you do believe that things are going to slow down, you'll go out and you'll go refinance, right? Right. Increasing cash flow, profit margins for companies. And at that point, that's when you begin to see growth, which is why they use this as a tool. And the Fed has been saying, hey, we're not going to cut rates right now because they need as much ammunition as they can get. Mm-hmm. That's right. And again, they're, they're, they're going to be you know higher for longer until they are fairly confident that inflation is going to return back towards their kind of normalized 2% trend level. And there's lots of expectation. There's lots of hope out there right now. It's like, well, you know, the Fed's going to have to upgrade this because now we're in this new inflation paradigm of 3% or more. And then, of course, the question still comes back to, well, if your growth trend rate of economic growth is 2%, inflation can't be 3 because inflation has got to reflect rates of economic growth. And so if you're still in the camp of expecting 
a recession, this is the prime opportunity to buy bond yields, right? Because if you're expecting a recession to come, then interest rates will have to fall during the recession, which means your capital appreciation is on your side. If you're expecting, you know, this massive surge in economic growth going forward, which has been the growth we've had, by the way, has been all dependent on the issuance of more government debt and stimulative spending through sending checks to households and, and uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, those type of things. So we'd have to continue more and more and more of that in order to create artificial growth in the economy. See, it's not real growth, right? It's just, it's just debt-funded growth for right now, but it's non-productive growth. So it doesn't create a long-lasting effect in the economy. So as that money gets effectively wasted, then at some point that interest rate burden comes back to slow down economic growth because we've got we still have to pay the interest on the debt. That's that's not free money that's <laughs> being passed out, right? You got to pay it back. So you'll pay it back through higher taxes and, and those type of things. So again, you know, the things that we're doing policy-wise do not contribute to long-term sustainable growth rates of higher economic activity in the economy. It leads to lower activity over time. But we're kind of in this bubble of, of still all this monetary supply, as we talked about on Tuesday. We have all this supply of money. This M2 as a percentage of GDP is still very elevated. It's coming down, right? It's coming out of the system, but it's still there for now. And so we've got to work through that. But eventually, the elephant in the room becomes the elephant in the room. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so uh you know it's it's interesting uh, a couple of things. One about inflation, uh, just real quick, getting some YouTube chat. So if you follow our YouTube channel, you can always chat and, and uh, Danny and Brent monitor that a bit. So, you know, a bit, a bit of chat right now about the SPR and energy and how is inflation going to come down if we have to refill the SPR. Energy, first of all, makes up a very small component of the overall inflation calculation. Um, housing makes up almost 40 percent. So. The homeowner's equivalent rent is the only thing you need to pay attention to. And that is not stripped out of CPI when we look at CPI. Remember, when we look at CPI, what do we look at? CPI less food and energy, right? That's what we focus on. So housing is never stripped out of that. And that's almost 40% of the index. Housing is coming down. It runs about a six to 12 month lag of getting into the actual inflation data. Because, you know, if you sell your house today, it takes, you know, 30, 60 days to close and, you know, move and all that stuff, right? So it takes time for that data to catch up to the actual inflation data. And housing prices have dropped over the last year, and that is not yet reflected in the inflation calculation. So, again, we do measure inflation on a year-over-year -year basis. 
And there are some factors that can lead to a small increase of inflation here or there from one month to the next. Energy certainly can do that. But again, we strip that out. So that's not the big driving component of what the Fed is looking at in terms of inflation, because they're looking at inflation less volatile components of food and energy. That's why they look at core. They look at PCE core. They look at uh, CPI core. That's what they're looking at. Danny? Well, I get it with the headline inflation, but you know, essentially any commodities, goods, and services that we mm -hmm. have are going to be tied directly to energy, right? If it's going to cost us more money to get things from point A to point mm -hmm. B, even if you strip that price out, it's going to be reflected in, in the rest well, no, of no, it, right? This is, but the, no, this has always been the argument about inflation, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, there was a, there was back in 2008, we were talking about inflation and Bill Dudley came out and said, well, you know, an iPad costs less. And somebody in the audience said, well, you can't eat an iPad, right? And because food prices, energy prices were up at the time. Remember, we were having the big spike in oil prices in 2008. So energy was everywhere, and it was, it was a big inflation. Yeah, like $147 but, a barrel. Right, right. And, and, but that got stripped out. We don't look at that. And Bill Dudley's point was as well, you know, look at the cost of an iPad. iPads are, are down on a year-over basis and, you know, that type of thing. Again, can't eat an iPad was the response from the, from the uh, uh, reporter. And so, again, yeah. How we look at inflation, like, man, have you taken your family out to eat lately? You know, going to McDonald's is a cool hundred bucks now, whatever it is, right? Um, you know, it's not cheap. It's not cheap to go out to eat. It's not cheap to drive your car. It's not cheap to do these things. But that is how you measure inflation. That's not how the government measures inflation. And that's not how the bond market measures inflation. So, again, you got to keep all these things in relative alignment of what drives markets what drives markets is not your personal, you know, realization of inflation, right? And, and what you feel is inflation because we don't measure inflation that way. We, we, do, we do have components that measure, you know, kind of CPI at home, but that's not the main driver of monetary policy or interest rate markets. Yeah, I mean, they do have some tools that will actually help you kind of determine what your inflation is. Go yep. to my CPI with Atlanta Fed. Yep. That's a pretty neat tool, but um, I feel like mine is way higher than what it suggested is. Yeah. Of you know, like personally, yeah, mine, mine too. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's just like we're getting our electric bills coming in right now. Yeah. Oh man. Well, no, you. What do you keep your house at? Seventy, like sixty-four, right? Something like that, like sub-freezer. You're I'd seventy-four. Like, I'd like it at okay. See, Brent keeps his house at sixty-eight normally, right? Mm -hmm. He's up to seventy-four. Our house stays. Our ACs at our house are staying between seventy-eight and eighty. Well, no, we're just acclimated to it. We've been we've done it for. 15 years, right? You think Lance is like 85 years old. <laughs> There's no way. You keep it between 78 and yeah. 80? Yeah. Man. You can come to my house and come look at my thermostats. They're 78. I don't want to go to your house. I don't want to sweat that much. It's, you don't. You just get acclimated to it after a while. It's fine, right? It's just, it's no big deal. And we have ceiling fans. Yeah. Keep the breeze moving. But even with that, even with our thermostats at 78, our, our electric bill last month was north of 600 bucks. Man. But of course, I live in the city of Houston, which has got all kinds of fees and incentives on it. And, and it's an older house, right? So it is. But well, still. I'm hearing from a lot of people saying that they're putting additional fees on top of things right now. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Of yeah. No, of there's the, you, you take a look at a, a city of Houston electric bill. and It's like your actual electricity cost was this. And then there's a long list of about six pages of fees <laughs> that are tacked on city taxes, this tax, that tax. Yeah. It's, it's about a billion taxes. Water taxes or the water bill is great because we have that 
uh, in Houston, we have that. Uh, what, what was that that fee they pass for if you have a land surface? The drainage fee, drainage fee. right? The drainage fee of like two percent or whatever it is. So it's just all these fees on top of your actual water usage. So if they actually would have done their zoning properly and, and done this and made sure contractors built the retention ponds. We wouldn't have this problem and you wouldn't be paying for it because they were supposed to. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Exactly. But that's, you know, this is, this is the cost you pay to live close to the office. <laughs> I think about that. Actually, I thought about it this morning as I was driving and I was like, man, what are we doing? I'm 41 miles door to door. I know you are. I'm, I'm, I'm four and a half minutes door to door. Yeah. But no, no. But I don't have to keep my house at 78 to 80. So, I mean, I don't live in Harris County. This is great. Yeah, exactly. It's a trade-off. Yeah, it's a great one, too. I'll take it. It's it's a trade-off. But like when I lived in Katy, but just the differences. So I had when I lived in Katy. So, you know, just quick backstory. Sold my house last July. Not this past July, a year ago, July. I lived out in Katy. And our electric bill, we kept our house probably between 74, 75. And our electric bill was about 250 bucks a month. So, but difference of time, prices, energy cost, yeah, all that stuff. So, different house. But yeah, it just it depends on where you live. Yeah, there's always a trade-off. I mean, yeah, for sure. But yeah, but then I was having to drive 40 minutes to work every day. But I'd also be sending my kids to private school if I lived by the office. We'd be it'd be a lot different scenario. No, so I could not, be spending no, more. you go live where I live. They have great schools. Where I, am. I can't That's get in I'm, where you live, Lance. I mean, it's nobody... cheaper than where you live. You live in live in oh, the woodlands. No, I do not. I'm in spring. You're in spring. Still cheaper. Ah, you do have higher taxes though. That's another thing. You have higher taxes. Yes, you, I have higher taxes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We, yes. We, My tax. Own, we don't even have mud. It's great. <laughs> That's a whole different story. <laughs> mm-hmm. The HOA is the one I'm working on. Uh, oh, good luck. <laughs> Need a full-time attorney for that. No doubt. Anyway, let's get back. To, well, I forgot. I totally forgot where we were on the on this morning. Oh, there, oh, so we're talking about inflation. Got off on all this other stuff. But yeah, so how we measure inflation is, you know, personally, right? How, how, how Danny measures his inflation, how I measure my inflation that is all very personal, and this is why there's always such a big fight against inflation numbers, right? When inflation comes out, we say, oh, well, inflation last month was 3.3%. Everybody goes, ah, BS. You know, I paid, you know, X for this last month or whatever it was, right? It's, you know, $18 for a dozen eggs, whatever it is. Um, you know, so so we all have these personal stories, and our personal inflation rate is is very personal to us, right? And, and we get very tied up into that personal inflation rate. But just remember that what you view as inflation is not how the bond market looks at inflation. It's not how the stock market looks at inflation. It's not how the economy looks at inflation. It's not how the Federal Reserve looks at inflation. It's not how the government looks at inflation. And that's all that matters when you're talking about investing money. So you've got to set your personal biases aside and look at the data because that's what's going to drive rates, markets, et cetera, going forward. So any last comments, Danny, before we move on? No, no. You sure? I'm sure. You're positive. Positive. Got it all out of your system this morning? No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll get there. But talking about, uh, talking about inflation, uh, parents will not cut out extracurricular activities from their budgets. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. It's is you know it's funny I visit with people we our kids are very active in different sports and activities and 
um, visited with somebody not long ago and they said, my financial advisor actually told us we spend way too much money on our kids and then we need to cut back. And I yeah. thought, amen. I mean, it, it's true, yep. right? And I think there you can make arguments for both. I mean, you want to get your kids a, a leg up and get them prepared for, for life. And I always equate, you know, understanding how to be on a team. So like I'm very big into them doing team sports, but also doing things individually because they can control the outcome. Right. But they need to learn how to work with people as well. And it is nuts. Like our, our fifth grader, is uh, they had to pick an elective, pick band. Okay. And I thought, okay, you know, no big deal. Not what I was envisioning because I really don't want to hear that for, uh, they have to sign a deal. They're going to practice for 110 minutes every week. And I thought, you don't have 110 minutes between all the other things that you enjoy to do. Right. But I thought, okay, this is probably a low cost endeavor. No. He wants to play the tuba. No, 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 <laughs> no. Uh, they, they asked her to play the French horn, which is an extremely difficult instrument, evidently. Yeah. And they, they highly recommend that you start taking private lessons. And I thought, wait a second. I thought this was like, you know, introduction to band. Right. Not, you know, like, hey, we're about to go play in the orchestra. And so, um, but then, you know, you start going to pick up all the, all the things that you need. So they send you this list. And I went out this last week and I picked up all the stuff and it was like 150 bucks. Okay. I'm like, wow, okay. And then you need to in- rent the instrument, which is way cheaper than buying it. Right. But still. I'm just curious. What, what, so what did it cost to rent the French horn? Because, see, I, I, I grew up in band, mm-hmm. right? So I played, I played tenor sax yep. when I was in band. And I, I had to buy my own instrument. But they didn't rent back then. I had to buy them. Yeah. I'm just curious. What did a French horn rent cost? I'm not positive, but I think it's 75 bucks For an entire year? I think it's for the semester. I'm not that's sure not though. Bad. That's well. That's where I need to. I, I think need I to, paid like fifty bucks for my sax back then, but you know that'd be way, way more now. Sure, I'm sure it would be. But all these costs add up. I mean, you start thinking about that, and then any other things that they like to do, yeah. art, uh, art lessons, yeah, yeah sports, I mean, baseball, softball, basketball. I mean, you name it. It's not cheap. And I think the numbers that they sh- they have on here, we can talk about when we get back. But I think they're significantly under what they actually are. Oh, I'm sure they are. Because again, it's just, yeah. We'll talk about that when we come back. 70% of parents said at least one of their children, 18 years old, is involved in an after-school activity. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. All right, so just talking just for the break, uh, 70% of parents have their kids involved in some type of after-school activity. There's so many jokes here. I just, just, <laughs> I just, uh, I'm going to bite my lip. Uh, yeah, just, I just, I'm going to bite my lip. Uh, 70% of parents said at least one of their children under 18 years of age is involved in an after-school activity. Uh, according to a survey released in May by LendingTree, on average, families spend $731 per child for after-school activities yearly, although those enrolled in travel sports teams, weekly music lessons, and coaching often spend significantly more. So, you know, yeah, it's expensive to raise kids. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I think... I had four of them, and they were constantly... I know you, right? I mean, the same the same thing. Yeah. Like It was softball. It was track. It was this. It was that. It was football. And every time I turned around, I was like, oh. Oh, and don't forget, 
it's not just that. My daughter's in dance, right? So my youngest daughter, she's in dance. And about every other week I'm getting, well, she needs a fee for her solo dance teacher and she needs a fee for this, uh, you know, rental of a studio to practice her solo dance for the upcoming they season. They need a new outfit for every and one they of need them. a new outfit. Uh, yeah, and it's just, it's, I just spent, it was like, I just got one recently. Um, they were going on a travel tour to New York. That was 800 bucks. So, you know, it's just, it's not cheap. No, it's not. And, you know, but one thing that this article does point out says that out of nearly six million college applications found that wealthier students or kids that were had more access to extracurricular mm-hmm. activities actually had a leg up because they want somebody that's more well-rounded over yeah. time. So I think there's good and there's bad that's associated with this, but there's certainly a lot of money that, you know, I don't know how you can, you know, how do you tie, how do you tie a dollar sign to it later down the road from success in a child right and right. i think success can be measured in so many different ways like for me i want my kids to be you know well-rounded productive members of society good morals you know well, that's no, number I, one the, right here's my complaint though it's become a money grab right oh and, and, for sure. and so, so again you know we go back to you know when i was growing up back in the stone age as my son says you know we went to school and you know you basically paid You're your still living there without an ac i mean right well i mean you went to school and you know, there wasn't all these additional fees for everything, right? You just went to school, and if you joined the football team, you played football, right? And 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 that was done. And most of it was after school, you, you went and played baseball or you went and played soccer or whatever you played back then. And it was mostly just a bunch of kids getting around playing with each other. It wasn't There wasn't this drive for organized sports. There, there was. I mean, I played, I played in, you know, peewee baseball and teenage baseball and all that type of stuff growing up. Um, but a, it wasn't as costly as it now. And it wasn't this kind of consistent every time you turned around, Oh, we need a fee for this and a fee for that. And this, Mm -hmm. and this other fee for this. And it's just really become, you know, almost a a money grab business from parents because they know that parents are going to do this, particularly in, you know, richer school districts, et cetera. Oh, there's no doubt about that. But then you start adding all the additional things up. Like our, our nine-year-old plays baseball and he's not bad. He's not great. I mean, he's pretty good, but he, um, he plays on a select team, and if you don't go that route at some point, you know the comp level of competition begins to diminish the older the kids get, right? Because kids start moving off and parents start moving them much, much quicker because they believe they can control more of it than in a rec ball league. Yeah. But the fees that add up are tremendous. Like, oh, a re- new registration fee. Why do I need to register again? I was just on this team. <laughs> right. You know? Oh, and then, oh, a new jersey fee. Well, hold on. I know how much it costs to get these jerseys. Right. Like, wait a second. Yeah. And so it, it all adds up really quickly. So it can strain households extremely quick. But then not only that, oh, do they need a they need to go to a hitting coach or a pitching coach? And you, you know, it's like where do you find the time for all this? And not, you know, and then you got to take them there when you probably should be working, <laughs> right? Just to pay for all this crap. Yeah. When I, when I was coaching baseball with my son, it, it amazed me how many of my my kids would come to play ball. Yeah. And then they would leave to go be with their pitching coach, their hitting coach, their run, you know, whatever coach it was. And I'm like, okay, these are kids just learning how to play baseball. And the parents are like, okay, my kid's going to be a pro baseball player next week. I'm like, you know, Oh yeah. Like, you, you look know, at the odds, statistics half, most of these kids aren't going to play high school ball. Let's right. break it to, to the parents. Yep. Most of them will not make that team, you know, none, know. much <laughs> less play college or pro pro baseball. That is how competitive is it is these days. Um, I had a, we had a friend call a while back talking about like, we need to split these teams up and, you know, join together and really, you know, have a game plan for the kids to, 
for high school and for, I'm like, whoa, man, <laughs> the kids just like playing with their buddies. You know I mean? That's really what we've done. It's kind of like been yeah. a friend deal, but it's, uh, it's, it's rough. And I get, because then the parents get into it and then it's almost, I don't know what the right word for it is, but you know, it's, it's very easy to get stuck in that hamster wheel. Well, no, it, it's for me, it was, I could always tell the guy that was the high school jock that was never good enough to go pro, but always wanted to go pro. And he was always the worst parent yeah. to have to deal with. Yeah. He was always the worst parent. And it's, I could spot those guys a mile away, and I just like, oh, my God. I don't oh, know there's no doubt. They take it so seriously. You yeah. see, yeah. It's, I mean, they're crazy. yelling at their kids and all kinds of stuff. It's just like, come on. He's just trying to have some fun here. My, my, my whole deal with them is like, listen, just put forth effort, everything you do, mm -hmm. right? Hard work pays off. So that's what I really try to teach them is that, you know, Look, do the right thing. Do it over and over again. Don't have, you don't have to look over your shoulder. You're going to feel good about everything you do. If you fail, which you're going to fail a lot in sports, yeah. I think it's great. Pick yeah. yourself up. Let's figure out what happened. Move what on. can we do better and move on? Exactly. Yeah. But so, it's unfortunate because well, it's super expensive. It is. And, and again, this is one thing we talk about with, you know, adults, parents, you know, et cetera. You know, we make a lot of decisions based around our kids and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, we're making bad financial decisions for ourselves because we're bankrupting ourselves to you know, pay for our kids' school and, and pay for all these other things that we want them to have access to, which is fine. Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But just remember, and we see this a lot with financial planning, is that parents are bankrupting themselves now to do this, not understanding that the impact comes at the end when there's not enough money to support you in retirement, and now you become a burden on your child. Well, and that's the funny thing is that we usually often think about it when somebody's paying for college or vocational school, they're spending a ton of money to get these kids in and they bankrupt their, themselves at that point. Yeah. But I think people do it often way earlier than what financial media thinks about just by talking about these yeah. things right here. And, again, and there's nothing wrong with and we're not saying there's anything wrong with paying for these things or doing these things because they're important. Right. You need to you need to give your child access to a lot of different experiences so they can find out who they are right? And find out what they're good at. Just, you know, you have to do it within a budget. And again, it just kind of always comes back to that four letter word budget, which nobody likes, but you've just got to, you know, you can't, you know, overextend for these things and then leave yourself in, you know, a dire strait later by taking on a bunch of debt to fund these things, et cetera. It's just not going to work out well in the end. So no, it won't. Uh, James Bullard, who was one of the longest tenured of the 12 regional Federal Reserve Bank presidents, stepped down last month, thinks the U.S. economy faces new risk of stronger growth that could require higher interest rates to keep up with the fight against inflation a month ahead. So this is one of the things that, again, we've talked about, is that, you know, there's a lot of people now have, have gone from the camp. Remember, in 2022, everybody, including James Bullard, was expecting a recession, now, nobody expects a recession, which is, again, if we go back to 2022, we said, hey, we're probably not going to have a recession because everybody's expecting one. You can't have a recession if everybody's expecting one. Now, the news is everybody doesn't expect a recession. So this potentially sets it up. Uh, you know, but this is this is, you know, what what Bullard says. And he says, I think it's turning out that the Fed's policy has been very successful. And I think we'll be that the buzz will be at Jackson Hole. I don't know what will be in the speeches, but the talk will be that this has been quite successful. Well, really, because the whole goal of your policy 
was to slow economic growth, to bring down inflation. In fact, Jerome Powell himself saying, hey, we expect unemployment to tick up here. It was the goal of your policy was not stronger economic growth. It was actually weaker economic growth to make sure that inflation came down and stayed down. And the, and the Fed even wanted lower asset prices in the process of that to help temper that rate of inflation and economic growth expectations. So was it successful? Because you didn't really achieve your goal. Inflation is still a concern. And now you've got economic growth ticking up here in the short term. So what all is that? He just said that um, Powell just said he was pleased that we haven't seen employment drop. Right. But that's been a big kicker in, in most of his conversations or his talks and speeches have been that we need employment to come down before we yep. feel comfortable with these numbers. Right. And we're about to probably see around a 650,000 uh, job reduction in the numbers because we're about to get one of the revisions to the employment data, which suggests there could be up to as much as a 650,000 job decrease in the jobs that we thought we had maybe weren't actually there. So We'll see what happens. But again, you know, this is kind of the, the big fight that's going on, right, between interest rates, inflation, economic growth. And this is where you've kind of got to make your own decisions about where do you see economic growth over the next 6, 12, 18 months? And what do you think those drivers are going to be? What's going to keep economic growth going forward and what's going to keep supporting it? Right now, it's been a lot of monetary stimulus. The Inflation Reduction Act, et cetera, has been feeding into the economy. That's been helping support this economic activity, building new plants, things like that we're doing in, in terms of battling climate change. That's been about $500 billion. That was on top of the you know, several trillion dollars of packages, $5 trillion in stimulus before that in 2022. So again, when that money runs out, what's next? Is there more money coming? That's going to be the question. What's going to support economic growth? The, you know, the risk down the road is less money, more debt, less economic growth. That's that's going to be what we'll be watching for. Anyway, that wraps up the show for the day. Uh, be sure to go by the website. Michael Leibowitz's latest article is out. It's on the website now. And, of course, uh, on Friday, we'll be back here with our with another article talking about debts and deficits. I'll be on the website as well. So realinvestmentadvice.com is where everything you'll find. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments, be sure and click the Ask Question button. Always happy to help you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. And we'll see you back here tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz to talk about Nick Timrose's latest article on the Fed and talking about interest rates and inflation. So we'll be in that tomorrow. So, all right. Have a great day. See you back here then.